Hey, y'all, this is Eric, and you're listening to Southeastern Bowhunter Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Southeastern Bowhunter Podcast. And this episode, we're going to have my buddy Thor come back on. That's right, Thor, son of Odin. <laughs> um, you know, we cover his uh, turkey season. We cover preseason tactics, and we do actually talk about a new product that has just hit the market not too long ago that he and I are both interested in. Um, you know, it's something I'm going to try out. Not saying I'm going to stick with it, but you know, it's it's an interesting uh, product. So I'm not going to spoil too much. Y'all, y'all will uh, hear about it in the episode. But before we get started, I got to thank our sponsors, Osseo Gear. Awesome camo, awesome camo patterns. You know, just great people at that company. Um, you can save 10% using SEBH10 on their website. And, you know, deer season's fast approaching. It's three months, just about three months before the Georgia deer season starts. And I cannot wait. Um, next up is Summit Tree Stands. I love it. I've got a Summit Viper and it is fantastic. Um, they're just a great company awesome you know product i guess quality and you know it's just a good company that's my favorite (laughs) uh to make it simple next up is urban archery outfitters and oh you know what hold on i forgot uh summit tree stands you can save 15 percent with the promo code sebh15 that's site-wide so you know with deer season fast approaching if you're looking to get a new tree stand or maybe some sticks or accessories or whatever Go to Summit Stands and save some money with that promo code. Now, I got to thank Urban Archery Outfitters and Thrill of the Outdoors. Um, If you haven't checked them out yet, I highly recommend you do. Go make a hunter profile on urbanarcheryoutfitters.com and start getting some product before season starts. And it'll save you or it'll get you the big game bucks. And then maybe you can win a, uh, you know, a property to go hunt on either this coming season or next season. Um, Thrill of the Outdoors is a YouTube channel. You know, it's pretty self-explanatory. They are just an outdoors YouTube channel. They're hunting, fishing, all that stuff. Great guys. Um, I also got to thank Drawback Outdoors and AA Outdoors TV. Drawback Outdoors, awesome photography, great YouTube content. Um, one of my good buddies, JD Cobb, you know, he he's really, really been pushing to try and make better content for everybody and, you know, post up his photos, his his uh, portfolio is growing and it's it's really, really good. Double um, A Outdoors TV, you know, that's my buddy Andy Freeman. Dude has supported me from the get-go and he has a great YouTube channel. Um, so go check them out. He just dropped a video, I think it was yesterday or sometime earlier this week of a new lighted knock that he just got. It's the Halo knock. And you know, I've been looking into Halo knocks. I'm probably gonna get a pack for myself and just try them out. I mean, they're really good, super simple, the lightest, lighted knock on the market at 20 grains and you know i think it's just something you know good for filming and good if you really just want to see where your arrow hits exactly it does take away from foc a little bit but i you know it's not going to take too much away but um yeah so that's pretty much it for all of the sponsors and supporters and you know this episode with thor was a lot of fun we just cut up for a while man i mean that's kind of the whole point of this podcast so Let's stop wasting time and let's get started with Thor Nichols, otherwise known as Thor, son of Odin. All right, guys, we got my boy Thor in the house tonight. Um, 
you know, wanted to reach out to him, recover or recap the uh, turkey season. You know, me and Thor have been blowing each other's phones up lately because deer season's only about three, four months away, and you know, with turkey season pretty much being over, we're kind of uh, we're kind of getting excited about it. So, Thor, what's been going on, man? What's going on, man? Yeah, you pretty much said it right. Turkey season's over. Kind of part of me's glad, part of me's sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? So let's just dive into it, man. What? Recap your turkey season because I've been following it on Facebook, and. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I'm not gonna spoil anything, but it. Well, um, so uh, this is a friend of mine and uh, me. This is our first year really trying to dive into turkey hunting hard. I had turkey hunted, I don't know, maybe six or seven times prior, just throughout the years, um, public and private, and. Uh, I have a, you know, I'm, I'm in a club in Heard County and we, we have a bunch of birds um, that I get on camera a lot and I've literally sat there in deer season and seen, I, I know I counted one evening and I counted 20 plus birds. Good Lord. And uh, there, we have a good flock down there. So I was thinking, oh, this should be easy. You know, I'll get down there. Everybody makes turkey hunting look easy. <laughs> so I, I said, you know, I'd get down there and give it a shot. Oh, we go, I go down there for a couple hours one day, one morning, not a single gobble, nowhere. And so I was like, all right, well, I tried it a couple evening hunts down there and nothing. And then, well, the second morning I went down there and we heard a gobble. And then I was like, that's the first time I had heard a gobble in the woods in a long time. Mm-hmm. So it was it got me fired up and I was like, holy crap. So we sat down immediately and called again. I was texting my buddy Josh and I was, he's like probably one of the best turkey hunters I know. And I was like, what do I need to do? He gobbled, you know, like he's trying to coach me through it. Just like, hey, you need to sit still. If he gobbled, that's good. It means he's probably coming to you. Call again in about 30 minutes if you haven't heard him gobble again. It's like, all right, so we did a little call-in segment. I didn't hear him again, and then it started to rain. Mm. So my, my only guess was he shut up and went somewhere else. And uh, we started doing some scouting on Onyx for some public land. And uh, the local public land here that we wanted to hunt didn't open till, uh May or April. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to say it was April and because they both had quota hunts at the beginning of turkey season. So they had changed it up because years ago you could just go open to the public regular turkey season. Um, now they're doing quota hunts there and then opening it for like a month for regular public. So we... Uh, start scouting and uh, just kind of dive into it. We go a couple mornings. Um, took my daughter one morning. We had a good time. Tracks everywhere. There's no gobbles with her. Um, that kid's a freaking trooper. She's she's six and we went uh, I think we did four miles that day total. Dang, and she boy. was on my heels. Actually, she was ahead of me a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she enjoyed it though and I was like you know what if you like this that much I can't wait to get you on a deer mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's that's always good, man. When the kids get into it and they, you know, are ahead of you. I wish that I could get oh, Tiffany yeah. to do something like that. <clears throat> yeah, that's, you know, it's just one of those things you just kind of go with. Like, I asked her throughout turkey season here and there. I was like, do you want to go? And she'd say, yeah or no. And finally she was like, no, I really want to go. So got her a leafy suit and uh, took her down there to, that public, to some public land. And uh, she enjoyed it, though. Uh, but at the end of the day, she was whooped. And she was like, I'm done. I'm ready to go home. She <laughs> fell asleep on the way home. I was like, yeah, I figured that would happen. Yeah. That's um, hilarious, man. So we go back. Me and a buddy go back another Saturday morning. We're, we're, we got like three week, two weekends left this season, like two weeks. Mm-hmm. And we go back and we get on gobbles like first thing one morning. And we're actually hearing two different gobblers. One's like, like 100 yards from us, if that. And then one's gobbling like across the road back where our truck was. And I was like, oh, dude, we need to change where we're at and move to this side of the field. And honestly, that was just a rookie mistake, and I think I should have just stayed put. Because we moved and he shut up. Once we moved and got settled down, he quit gobbling. You think he heard you? I think he saw us. Uh... And I think we didn't see him, but I definitely think he saw us. Yeah. Once because... So once we we got set up, we waited about 45 minutes. He never came in on us. I hit one calling sequence while we were sitting there. No goggles, nothing. So we ease back down to the truck. I put the decoys in the truck, and we go back to where we heard him gobbling, and we start walking the roadbed. And what I'll do, once the sun's up a little bit, and we'll start to run and gun kind of, We'll go two or three hundred yards and we'll call maybe sometimes four hundred yards. You know, we'll just walk a while and we'll listen to the woods because, I mean, so far this year I learned a lot is to listen to the woods. Just be quiet. Uh, you're turkey hunting, not turkey calling. So we would listen, you know, for gobbles. And, like, for example, that gobbler that morning, uh, he was gobbling every time a there was a morning dove off in the distance, and every time it would do its whole thing, he would gobble. He wouldn't gobble at a hoot owl. He wouldn't gobble at a, a, a you know, purr, cluck, hmm. nothing. But that morning dove would set off, and he would gobble. So, so and sometimes we just, they gobble with weird things, you know? So, uh, anyways, we walk in the roadbed and fresh turkey tracks right at the bottom of the roadbed right over the hill from where we were originally set up and I mean I could see the creases in where his toes been in his <laughs> in his footprint mm-hmm. so I was like uh yeah that was like this morning dang dude the way I figured he'd come uh, walked away from us basically and hit the roadbed and walked just straight away from us and where we were set up you couldn't see that part of the roadbed so we hunted for a couple hours uh even ran into dnr that morning had a nice interaction with him don't remember the gentleman's name but uh he checked our licenses asked, you know asked us how things were going and pretty much just went on his way but uh always nice to you know see dnr out doing their thing making sure people are doing the right thing yeah yeah i've seen them a couple times deer scouting and 
<clears throat> you know, in those situations, they don't really ask you for any sort of credentials or anything. But man, it's I'm still waiting for the first time when I go to public and I see uh, old Mr. Green Jeans walking through, <laughs> just checking stuff, which I hope doesn't happen. But just because I don't well, want him busting out the spot. With any uh, officers have been really polite. They went really well. Didn't have any issues. Um, Typically, if you're doing the right thing and are in, you're, you know, 100% legally doing what you're supposed to, you're not going to have an issue. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've never had an issue with them. There was actually a couple years back, um, shoot, man, it was probably like four years ago, I had to call DNR because one of the private spots I was hunting at, um, I was in, it was literally the opening weekend of, I think, the 2020 season. And there was a house at the time that was abandoned next door. And I knew the people that owned it, and I knew that, you know, obviously it's only archery season, and it's probably, shoot, man, 7, 7.30, and I had deer in front of me. Like, I had some does. I was waiting on a buck, you know, just because it's the first first weekend. I'm not going to try to, you know, blow that spot out first weekend. I mean, now I'd probably change that, you know? But back then, I was it was my first full, full-time season, you know, actually going every single chance I got. And, uh, oh, yeah. Dude, there was, there was, I don't know if it was kids, I don't know if it was just some people that knew the place was abandoned or what the deal was, but there was like three or four rifle shots within 100 oh. yards of my ground blind. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, and the thing is, there's like neighborhoods and stuff that are right behind where this house was i mean there's woods but it's not you know big woods like you you could shoot and it could ricochet ricochet and go to someone's house so i got pissed yeah Yeah, like i got pissed i called dnr when i got out because obviously the deer scattered and i'm like well nothing's coming over here now and so i called him up and i was like hey man um you know this is the address um i don't know if these guys were hunting or just shooting or whatever but they were definitely trespassing i know that and uh, nothing ever came of it. I never saw anyone or I never heard anything again. But yeah. the guy was cool. I mean, you know, he was like, well, did you see any animals? Did they shoot anything? I'm like, no. I just know that, you know, I had deer in front of me. I was bow hunting. And, right. you know, I told him, like, my number and all that stuff so he could make a report. And then nothing ever came of it. But I don't know. I've, I've been thinking about trying to get someone from DNR on here because, you know, it would be interesting to hear straight from them, like, what they're doing you know, at at least within the organization, to see like what changes. Yeah, even 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 some of the land managers for the public land, uh, those are good. You know, probably be some good guys to have on. I don't want to say I don't recall uh, his name right offhand, but the gentleman I'm thinking of, he used to be a land manager and worked for DNR. Um, and I've talked to him a few times, and uh, he was running a podcast for a while. But, uh, you know, life gets busy. So uh, he was running episodes kind of sparsely. Mm-hmm. And I haven't, I don't think they've done one in a while, but uh, it was, he was a pretty knowledgeable guy, you know? Yeah, well, and they're and, out uh, there all the time. You know, like they, they see things that we'll never see. So oh, yeah. I feel like they'd be well, like, perfect to have on. Yeah, well, when I hunt the chicken hunt uh, for one of the WMAs here, uh, 
I shot a buck. Oh, I shot, no, that was the, not the check-in hunt, that was the regular hunt this past December, but mm -hmm. the following year, so two seasons ago, shot a buck at the check-in hunt, which it's a bonus buck opportunity, so it was a rifle hunt, and the DNR will tag your buck for you, so it doesn't affect your tags personally. Hmm. So you get another buck, and then you can still use your two or one buck to, you know, whatever buck tags you have left. So, uh, I got to talking to the DNR here, and he was really nice. He was showing me trail camera pictures of the DNR trail cameras, and, oh, God. There's deer on the public land that people probably never see. Man, look, that touches right into what me and Andy were talking about a few weeks back, about how, like, there there are monsters on public land. You just have to be in the right spot, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, you and yeah, I have yeah. talked about that. Oh, go ahead, sorry. No, I was just saying, you and I have talked about that at, yeah. like, nauseam almost. <laughs> you know, I, I always go back to that story of 2021, seeing that giant deer, and just knowing, like, the spot I was in is a good spot. Because, I mean, I had a bunch of pictures of Big Bucks last, last year. And, yeah. you know, it, it's... I don't know if it's, if it's like a... Uh, just a, a really good WMA or maybe people think there's too many people so they don't go but all the all the things that you know I hear people say like oh public land is you know overcrowded or there's too much pressure or this and that I think last year I saw maybe four cameras and that might be an exaggeration and I saw yeah. nobody when I hunted it I mean like literally every time I've hunted this spot it's me and maybe someone with me if, if anyone goes with me so, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just us, but... Well, I, I've got spots like that on public land here that, I mean, we, you know, I don't ever see anybody at certain spots. And it's like, me and my buddy, for example, we went to this December, uh, the last gun hunt for this public land. But this wasn't a chicken hunt. This was a sun-in hunt, which means it's your tags. Hmm. And I had... Uh, Think one uh, way we get ten doe tags. I think I had nine left because I shot one doe or whatever. Um, but I had one buck tag left because I had shot one archery buck. I had shot a public land buck on the island hunt, so I still had a buck tag left, and I had plenty of doe tags. So I was like trying to get my buddy on a deer, and we aerial scouted on X aerial scouted the spot. And I went in the day prior to just check it out from the road. Didn't get out, didn't scout, because it was, um, the, the deer hunt was still going on. And there was a truck parked where I was thinking would be a good idea. And there just so happened to be an older gentleman walking into his truck from that spot. It was getting kind of dark. Mm -hmm. Probably had about 45 minutes of legal shooting light, but he, it was raining and he was probably wet. But we, we just chalked it up for a minute and, uh, he was like, oh, this is a good spot. You know, I don't ever see a lot of people, but he was hunting on the other side of the road that I wanted to hunt on. And he was like, well, I'm not going to be here tomorrow, and, you know, this is public land, buddy. You're more than welcome to hunt wherever. So we hunted on the opposite side, and it was raining the day we went. It was a Sunday, and we, there was nobody down there. And we spot stopped up on the two deer, and... I said, we, we kind of circled around, and then we, we had our rifles, so 
Um, the deer busted us right as we were getting close. To, yeah, we probably were. I had snuck them on. I lost visual of them, and they were down like near the creek, mm-hmm. and we're like easing up, and it's raining, so we're using the rain to our advantage of being, you know, our footsteps and all. But we're going real slow still, and I'm trying to catch eyes on them again, and then they jump up, and we just kind of jumped up, and they run way up the hill. So we circled back, and I said, we need to just sit, sit over here and watch over by the creek. So we sat down, and sure enough, here come five more deer down the hill about 30 minutes later, and a spot that I literally aerial scouted one time and looked at from the road. Dude, that's so insane. So it's like, you know, I, and it's, I'm not saying these were giant deer. Uh, I shot a spike, and there was a few does in the mix, and the deer I shot, I thought he was a doe, and uh, my buddy even did, but, you know, it was... We knew it was a deer. We knew we were aware of our uh, target, but it was raining. And uh, I was like, I don't see any spikes on him. You know, I don't see any antlers. He was like, just shoot one of the does. Because the buck that we saw that was clearly a buck was like a six or seven point. Not a bad little buck, but uh, I wasn't going to shoot him because I was like, well, I still have some season left. I'm going to save this last buck tag. I shot him and I was like, well, I guess I'm bucked out. You know, I wasn't mad about it because that was the fifth deer I'd shot. Yeah. So I was tickled pink and, you know, but it was just, that just goes to prove, like, if you want to get out hunting deer and shoot deer, it's, they're there. You know, it's, if you want to get out and shoot big bucks and all that, I get that too. There's some guys that, uh, it was an uproar about me shooting that spike on public land. Oh, I remember that. This is 25, this is 25,000 acres. And these guys are like, I can't believe, blah, blah, you know, whatever. You shoot what you want and see your tags. Yeah, we uh, uh, we definitely, I, I remember covering that in the last episode, man, that yeah. there's a bunch of crybabies on Facebook. There's, there's big bucks on public land, man. There's big bucks everywhere. I yeah. mean, there's big bucks on four-acre parcels of land in Atlanta. There's, heck, there's big bucks behind my house <laughs> where I live in Lucky Springs. And, there's, you know... If there's woods where a good deer can reside and be safe and have food, there's a liable chance of a big buck living there somewhere. Oh yeah, I mean, dude, I've I um, I think it was last year, yeah, it was last year. Season either was just going out or it had already been out, and my buddy was looking at a house over in Turtle Cove, over by Jackson Lake, which is like, it's a neighborhood, but it's very heavily wooded, wooded. Yeah. And uh, dude, we're just cruising along in this solid i mean he wasn't giant but i mean he was a shooter for sure this eight point just runs out in front of us and just and i'm and i look at my buddy i'm like please buy a house here i was like because i know you'll let me hunt and uh he unfortunately ended up moving to savannah so that didn't work out but yeah man i mean they're everywhere like i see deer in my neighborhood you know and i haven't seen any bucks i've seen bucks across the street but i haven't seen any you know in the neighborhood but that's not to say they're not coming over here it's just there's, well, got, you know, there's no hunting over well, here. We went to a well, real quick. I'll just say this real quick recap. We were on the turkey hunt. Oh we yeah, <laughs> sorry. Off of the uh, off in left field there, but <laughs> <laughs> just a re- basically recap turkey season. I had uh, my buddy Josh that I was talking about earlier and uh, early on when I was texting him earlier in the turkey season, he had. <laughs> Uh, asked if I wanted him to tag along with me and, and take me to a spot he had been turkey hunting for years 
uh, on some public by me, and I said, sure, you know, he's, I said, this guy's a turkey guru. And uh, so we went down there, and I, I didn't know, you know, the area or nothing. I, I knew the public land, but I don't know. You know, he just, he put me on, we went in a couple spots and was calling and stuff. And uh, we didn't hear any gobbles that morning. And of course, every time, it seems like every time I've had a free chance to turkey hunt in the morning this year, the weather has not wanted to cooperate. Storms were supposed to be rolling in that morning and the wind was starting to pick up. And for those of you who don't know, when the wind picks up, turkeys don't light a gobble. Uh, And they don't, they can't hear great. So if they're getting down and moving around and it's not raining, they're probably gonna move towards fields, stuff like that. So they can see a long way, hear better, stuff like that. Well, so we're, we go, I don't know, probably three and a half miles deep without a gobble. And uh, we start heading back. Well, we, we get to the spot where we started, where he was for sure there were some birds. And we start hearing a hen clucking in the bottom. And he was hoping, it was, you know, it's late season, so gobblers are, they're getting henned up and uh, they're not gobbling. You know, once they get henned up, they don't got no reason to gobble their head off like they normally would, you know. Mm-hmm. They may shot gobble in the morning and things like that, but um, they don't necessarily have to go around looking for a hen and gobbling because they're with one. So Josh starts calling to this hen and they start talking and he gets set up behind me and we get set up immediately. So he goes off and he goes behind me and down the hill and starts calling and making it basically sound like that he, the other hen, is walking away. So here comes this hen up the hill, and our hopes was that she had a gobbler with her. And he about put this hen in my lap. Mm-hmm. Now I'm shaking, I'm like, I keep hearing her, and every time I hear her, she's getting closer. And I just keep thinking, oh, gobbler's gonna come up this hill, gobbler's gonna come up this hill. But here she come, 15 yards away, clucking around, walking around, chilling. She's looking for this hen that she keeps hearing, well, she don't see it. And she ain't got a gobbler with her, so I let her go on about her way. And he quit calling, and we got up. And uh, I was like, dude, that was crazy. You know, so was, that was my first turkey experience where I've had a turkey in front of me with a gun, you know? Like, yeah. uh, we, I had ran into a couple of hens earlier in the season, uh, like literally walked up on them, but that was my first deal with the calling and actually bringing the bird to me so it was pretty it was a pretty cool experience i got to learn a lot got to watch and see you know just how that hen reacted to everything it was pretty neat and uh we headed on back to the truck no more gobbles basically the rest of the morning and we're, we're getting closer to the truck and we start seeing turkey tracks on the road that are fresh oh well, you gotta be kidding me and in my boot print is a gobbler track going back the way that we were coming from away from the truck oh no <laughs> and i was like well he was on top of us this morning but we weren't on top of him man that's crazy so that, that basically right there sums <laughs> up my 30 season though they were uh, always a step ahead of me yeah i mean hey at least you went <laughs> oh yeah i was supposed to go Tomorrow. but i just never had the time i had one morning i could have gone and i woke up and i'm like man I'm tired, so I just went back to sleep. 
20 mornings where I wake up at 3, 4, 5 in the morning, I'm like, I'm tired, but I've always had this drive in me that I don't know what it is about hunting, and it can be hunting anything from from doves, turkeys, or deer, ducks, elk, coyotes, whatever. If I'm getting up going hunting, I mean, there's very few mornings where I'm like, I ain't going. Yeah. No, see, that's if me. I wake up and say I ain't going, it's normally because the weather is just so crappy, I don't feel like going. Yeah. No, I'm I'm the same way when it's deer season, but, like, once I'm out of deer season, man, it's kind of... I, I say I want to go turkey hunting, and I do. I just think that it, it's... It's definitely... It's, it's... As being coming from a beginner, like, straight beginner this year, uh, it's definitely not as easy as they make it look on all these turkey hunts you watch on TV. Oh, of course. I mean, deer, deer hunting's the same way. Yeah. I, deer is so funny because, like, within the last couple of years... As far as like seeing deer and getting on deer and learning deer, I felt like I've learned so much. And uh, there's plenty of times where I feel like I can take somebody to a, a area of woods I've never hunted and put them in a spot where they're going to see a deer. Now yeah. I can't tell you you're going to see a big buck. I can't tell you it's going to be a huge group of deer. But I bet you probably have a doe slip by you or something, you know? Yeah. And I'm, get, I'm getting better at doing that. I mean, I've. Uh, we did it earlier boat season this last season uh, went to public land again aerial scouted onyx went down in there and then like me and my buddy Ricky uh, multiple times went in there with climbers on our back in the dark basing off onyx and started going in the woods <laughs> and just hope that you know we just kind of go real slow and go easy and, and especially if it drops off or anything like that we just got to be careful but we get in there and get set up what looks like, you know, a good area. And sure enough, like, we first time we hunted a spot this one year, uh, or this past season, hunted a spot that we aerially scouted. And saw, I saw four deer that morning. Um, they just, I think they saw me move to get my bow. Mm. Yeah, but they were, before then, they were coming right to me, and I had them at 60 yards at one point, just a couple does. Um, I set up a camera in that area over Mock Scrape, and I, I've sent you that buck that I got on camera. Um, I don't remember, but it was like a big eight or nine corner. Yeah. And he's uh, he's hitting that tree. He's hitting that licking branch I'd set up, and uh, you know that's a that's a spot that was super random, and it and honestly, it was a deep, it was a heck of a drop off to get in there. I definitely need my deer card to get a deer out, and uh, definitely have to field dress it. Mm-hmm. But it probably ain't. 300 yards from the truck. Yeah, to so, some guys, that's you know, far. There's a, I think there's a lot of guys that, and, you know, it, it is what, you know, everybody preaches go deep, 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 and I think there's been so many years of just go miles deep that the deer are starting to push back towards the roads. Oh, yeah, dude. And, I, and it's not to say that the deer weren't always by the roads or closer to them, but I think there's a lot of areas that are holding good deer nice especially for public land big deer that are closer to the roads than we think you know i can't tell you how many times i've had a big buck cross the road while i'm driving down a wma road you know oh yeah i mean you gotta think that spot that i saw that giant 10 point he it i was maybe two 200 yards from the truck i mean i i could turn around and see the the pond and i honestly could see my truck so it's not you know i've been saying that for honestly ever since that happened that 
you know, going going deep in isn't bad, but you don't always have to. You know, it really yeah, comes saying, down to like scouting. You know, I think there's a time and a place for each tactic. Obviously, there's there's a time where pressure's heavy in certain areas, and you know that the pressure's heavy. But if you can get deep in there in the good betting, uh, you'll find the big bucks. Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's time where you'll find spots like that little spot I found that just to drop off down in a big hardwood bottom. It's a huge hardwood draw, and it's a deep drop off. But the deer are in there, you know. Well. And it's just you got to go to those places where you wouldn't think a human should even be. Yep, I was just about to say that they they like to go where we're not, so that's where right. we need to be. And a lot of guys, you know, I'm a big dude. I'll tell you right now, I'm 290 pounds, but I go down in some hills that I probably shouldn't be, you know, <laughs> going down in, and we, we get down in there if we have to, and, it, you know, it pays off sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's really, you know, something I've learned, and I've been slacking a lot this year, mainly because work has just been crazy, but, you know, I, I think we can kind of transition this into what we wanted to talk about um concerning like early season tactics and stuff like that but it really comes down to the work you put in during the off season because like i've heard um i've heard mark jury say that you don't kill them in season you kill them during the off season off season of course so you know it, I, I mean that's just facts yeah it is because i mean you put in a lot of work like what you and i were talking about you know with getting feeders and cameras out and stuff like that like tomorrow you know, I'm going to one of my spots that I'm putting out, you know, I don't know how much food. I know it's a good bit. <clears throat> and I've had, you know, some bucks on camera and nothing, nothing crazy. I had one little one this morning. He was this tiny spike. I mean, he's he's not really anything to look at. But, you know, they, yeah. they're there. I mean, I get pictures of does every night, you know. And around this time oh, yeah. last year, my – job wasn't as busy so I had more time during the week to put food out and you know kind of inventory what was going on and you know this year it's kind of especially with you know changing up how I'm going to be hunting I mean I'm still going to use my ground blind but I want to do more tree stand hunting um if I can ever find any way to get my sticks to work thank you (laughs) thank you Amazon yeah that wasn't good no but uh but yeah, man, it, it you know, I, I want to hear your kind of your plan for early season and like what you're planning on doing because, you know, right now I think we're looking, you know, you and I are doing a little different. Like I'm looking at getting a few new spots and then putting some cameras out, um, obviously putting cameras on public and then, you yeah. know, putting food out at my main spot just to sort of keep them, I don't want to say keep them around because they've been around, but just sort of get right. an idea of like what bucks may be around in early season. So what are yeah. you you know, what are you getting into? Like, what plan do you have sort of for the next two months before we really need to start, you know, looking at the inventory of deer and figuring out, like, you know, what bucks are around, what the game plan would be, and then start planning for early season? Right. Well, uh, basically, um, you know, I have my club property uh, that I'm in a club, and I've got... I don't know, this, we've got, I think it's 20 guys in the club. And, uh, but, you know, I've, I've said it before, my club's the one of those clubs where uh, not everybody hunts at the same time. I ain't never had to fight to go hunt a spot or, you know, it's just pin in, pin out system, and there's a lot of stands. Um, 
we've got a good bit of property down there. I've been down there for six or seven years. I know the property really well. I'm starting to know the deer more frequently. Um, I think we have a, what I, we have deer that bet on the property, that stay there, live there, obviously. But I also think we have a, what I like to call a big filter property. Uh, or not, call, I mean, because I've seen it in some places where we, we have a lot of wind, but a lot of deer filters are there. Uh, I've seen so many different bucks in the last three seasons that some are living there on the property and I see them a lot on camera and I see them a lot in person. And then some of those bucks show up and leave and they're they're there, you know, for some of the year and they're gone. And it's not just a rut. Like, you'll get them in early season and then they're gone for the fall pattern and then they'll show up for rut maybe. You know, they're just kind of filtered through the property. They're not staying on the property. And then you have my bucks and, and deer that are living on the property and bedding there and staying there that I get on camera religiously, you know. I'll see thousands of pictures of them throughout the season. And uh, so that, you know, I just kind of look at that. I kind of look at the deer that are frequenting. Biggest goal is to get down there to the property and get all of my cameras back up and running, all the batteries in place, all the SD cards wiped, clean, fresh SD cards, uh, and start getting those cell cams rolling, getting some food in the feeders, checking the stands, checking my blind, make sure, you know, uh, a lot of public stands down there that are, that I have, um, that I have cameras on, they're public stands, but I do have feeders and cameras on them. Uh, just because there are stands that I like to frequent down there, and I'm down there a lot by myself, uh, <laughs> especially in the evenings during the week when guys are working, if I can slip out of work early enough. Uh, I get down there by, you know, 3.45, 4 o'clock, heck, 4.30. Uh, I still have enough time to get some hunts in in the evenings, and I've seen a lot of deer in the evenings. So um, just kind of get those those cameras rolling and uh, the feed in there and I'll start taking inventory because I've got a couple mineral spots that while I was turkey hunting I checked on and they are hammered them already and I don't even have a camera running on them. I mean they've got one hole dug in the ground I could probably sit in you know. Oh, crap. So they uh, they're definitely hitting those mineral spots hard right now and um, you know I'm, I don't I'm not, I don't do all the, I don't have like recorded hunts and stuff like that, so I don't really have anybody I pick specifically. I, I feed them corn, I, I throw salt, you know, I go buy a salt block from the feed, the feed store. I go buy three or four salt blocks and uh, get them set down in there and, you know, I may feed them some specific mineral here and there. I grab some of the next level stuff that I have or, um, you know, just whatever I'm feeling. I, I don't have nothing specific. I try to start throwing the mineral down after deer season ends so that way they can come back throughout the end of season and the beginning of season and hitting it, you know, getting that calcium and the minerals and all that good stuff that they need for antler growth every year. Uh, so basically just kind of, you know, it's a, like you said, in the off season, you're still taking care of those deer. So even though the cameras are off, I know the deer are still there. Oh, yeah, dude. Um, 
I just cut my cell cameras off because it, it you know, I'm just a regular guy. I, you know, I work a job just like the rest of us. I'm a blue collar guy. I'm a diesel tech, but you know, the stuff costs money. <laughs> so we, uh, and we got a little one due in August. So, you know, you, you cut the money where you can and, and uh, try to save that for other stuff. Yeah. Now that's, that's sort of been my issue is like last year, man, I think I was going every other week, you know, cause these yeah. deer, man, they, they, I'll tell you what, the food I'm putting out tomorrow, if it lasts till next Wednesday, I'll be shocked. And, oh, yeah. you know, right now they need it because fawns are dropping and the bucks are growing antlers. Oh, yeah. You know, obviously the, the does need to eat too. So they'll hammer it, man. I've had some pictures where it's like six, seven does just chilling in the field that, you know, I have my, one of my cameras on where I put the feet at. And, I mean, I'm, I'm like... I'm I'm happy about it because you know I see a bunch of deer and it's really cool to wake up in the morning and see them all there and all that. But it's also it kills me because I'm like you fat does are eating everything. These bucks are gonna show up for a day and then they're gonna be gone, you know. Yeah. And you know it's kind of it it's sort of and I guess you should use my own experience and you know I kind of want to hear what you think about it like if you've dealt with it before. But this spot, you know they. So last year I already had Pickles and Bluey on camera um, probably like two weeks ago to the year, you know, and that I would assume is because I was putting more food out back then. But, you know, it's almost like now I haven't, I have no idea what kind of deer are there. Like last year I had a good idea. Okay. There's these two deer that are already showing pretty good growth potential. Um, and I mean, from the get go, it was like, all right, that's those are the guys. And I was looking back at right. pictures from last year, and I had one deer. He was really old. I called him Skyscraper because his his antlers looked like elk antlers. Like they did not curve; they went straight up out of his head. I mean, really weird looking deer. And um, yeah, and I was super excited, but he never he disappeared right before season. And but what's annoying about it is like now this year. I haven't been in as much, so there's not as much pressure, but there's also not as much food. So all I'm getting is a doe or two a day, maybe a small buck like the one this morning. And it's almost like I have no idea what's there. Now, tomorrow, you know, when I put food out and stuff, Saturday morning I could get a a picture and it could be tank or a bigger deer or at least something that's worth, I'm not going to say worth shooting, but something that would get me excited, you know, for a season. Um, But it's just weird, man. Like, have you ever had that before where one year you're just seeing tons of deer and you've got, you know, maybe two bucks or a buck that just sticks around? And say you don't kill him that year. The following year around the same time, he's just nowhere to be seen. Oh, yeah. Um, see it happen more often than I'd like to. Uh, <laughs> like I was saying, our property's kind of a filter property sometimes. And I think, you know, again, I think every property has deer that come and go. That's just deer's that's you know a deer's gonna do what it wants Mm -hmm. so i don't care how hard we pattern these deer uh it's still gonna wake up every morning and be like well i'm gonna go here today yep and it might be by your standing might not you know so uh big thing and i've heard you talk about it before big thing is uh, you know pressure and the entry point and all that i know you were saying you have like one entry access to that property is that the same one yeah, yeah, it's that same one. Yeah. I've actually been sort of thinking 
about so like obviously the ground blind is going to stay in the field but what i'm trying to possibly do this year is have only one feed site and then right. make that like the main food site and as long as there's no deer see the problem with that though is that it's at the front of the property so i may have to yep. move it to the back and then just sort of use like what t-bone was saying um last season about you know a main food spot and then wherever you're sitting at you know if you're gonna hunt over bait maybe put it like 30 yards away and then just get some of the good stuff like put corn in in you know a main regular spot and yeah. then get like buck bourbon or something or the next level stuff something that smells good to them and that is going to bring them in before either before or after you know they go to that main food spot um so that's why like that's kind of why i'm looking at tree stand stuff you know changing up how i hunt because it's cool and all to have that one spot where you can see everything and you know they're only going to come from your field of view you don't have to worry about what's behind you you don't have to worry about anything like that but at the same time i at least last year i noticed you know come november or late october they'll show up maybe once or twice a day or a week during the daytime but everything else is at night you know and especially when you're hunting there it, it just doesn't work out. So maybe what I'm thinking about doing is trying to draw them to the back of the property and then have a stand set up, you know, midway between the the ridge that I'd be putting the food on and then also have, um, like, basically between that ridge and where the ground blind's at so I can be in the middle because there's only a couple ways they can come from, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean... And, uh, my biggest thing as far as, like, with the you were asking about the bucks showing up and then mm-hmm. not you know kind of showing up the next year uh well one like you said you were feeding a lot heavier last year that's gonna be a big factor oh yeah uh, food is always a factor so the more food the more you see deer and this is something i learned off of just running cell cameras period um heavy heavy food man deer hammer it I, i'll get to, i mean thing will be going off bling 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 deer there <laughs> all night and they'll eat and eat and eat and then once it starts dwindling down them deer are gone oh yeah now they'll be walking by that camera they'll be they'll be walking within proximity of that camera they'll be walking just outside of the you know range of it going off or whatever i was literally sat there in a climber and hunted last year over a feeder or feed well it was a feeder down there and the deer were feeding around it, but they weren't going by the camera. Hmm. And they just, so, one thing I tell guys all the time, something I've also learned is don't, I will never, I will use a camera just as I would. It's a tool for my hunting, but I ain't hunting off of my camera, if that makes sense. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, if I get a big buck show up, it's probably going to like, trigger me to want to hunt that spot of course but if i'm not getting big bucks to show up but i'm getting decent bucks and does or something like if deer are showing up i'm gonna hunt this spot at least once or twice to see where they're coming from what deer are showing up what deer are hanging out outside of that camera that i'm not seeing you know i can't tell you how many times i've had a nighttime picture go off be a spike and a forked horn standing there and you look in that background, there's a big eight-pointer standing in the background. Oh, yeah. He's way, he'll be way off, and you see his eyes glowing. 
and he'll just hang out back there. And it may take him a month to get comfortable to walk up to that feed spot. Even though you've been feeding in that area for a while, they still get nervous. They got big for a reason. Yeah. So, you know, it's just one of those things. It's, it's uh, maybe one of those things where the deer are feeding somewhere else better or they're, mm-hmm. you know, say you're, I mean, if you've got neighbors around you feeding and you're feeding, maybe they're wanting to eat that or whatever the case may be, you know, um, I had a big 10 point show up last year in September in full velvet. I got five pictures of him. I did not see him again all season until October. He started showing up at the spot I killed my wide nine at early, early September. I killed my wide nine there. He just, just 10 pointer started showing up for no reason at this one feed spot where I killed the big wide nine. And where he was showing up beforehand was in a food plot in like July, August. I got five pictures of him in August and that was it. And I said, dude, that's like a one, he was like a Pope and he was a Pope and Young 10 point. Mm -hmm. I mean, he ain't no 150 or nothing, but he definitely went 125, maybe super low, like maybe low 130s, you know? Yeah. Um, really, really respectable deer, and a guy shot him during a rut while I was on the island hunting. One of the club members shot him during a rut. Uh, that deer had been shot at, <laughs> based off of the stories I had heard, he had been shot at like two days in a row prior. A couple guys would see him, and he would he was chasing does, and he had that, you know, he had that girl on his mind, and they'd get him caught up in between somebody and their rifle, and they'd shoot and miss or something. You know, I don't know what the deal was, but nobody had killed him. And then the next morning, he come grunting and running a dope by one of the other club members. He laid him down. It was a, it was a good book. So, why? And where he shot him at was the complete opposite side of our property where I was getting him on camera at. Oh man! So now, of course, rut could be a big factor in that because he was chasing those. Yeah. Um, and those rut bucks, man, those rut bucks that you're going to see during rut and only during rut on some properties. Yeah. And uh, that's just, you know, one of those things that's... Uh, one year on my property, we had... I had seven different bucks in one night on camera chasing those. Good Lord, man. And they were all shooters, every one of them. I mean, there was two big eights, there was a big ten. There was some little bucks, but there was like... All six or seven of those big bucks were all shooters, and they showed up in November chasing those and they would show up like for like a week and then I'd never seen them again yeah see that's the thing that drives me nuts is I hear everyone say you know oh November man that's when they're that's when they're crazy and you'll see this and that and it's like I've only seen it one time where and that Uh, was I ain't never seen them rutting hard which is I mean I've hunted deer since I shot my first deer when I was 15 14, 15 yeah and I've been hunting deer hard ever since I was 16. I'm 28 now, and I've only ever seen chasing like a handful of times, like actual running hard, you know, chasing, seeking, running, all that. Yeah. I ain't seen it a bunch, but we also in the South, uh, I think it's, I think some properties are hit or miss. Like you'll go, you, uh, you hear about some guy that, I've had bucks running around me all morning and be right next door to me. And I've had, you know, seen one bump a doe around, you know, nothing crazy. Yeah. I feel like um, I see it more that, on camera. That, that's a whole, that, that, 
that's a whole deal goes into you know uh, when the does are being going into heat and yeah. stuff like that well and that's what killed uh, me last season dude was like I would see it on camera and my neighbor would send oh, me yeah. pictures you know and then like so I go in the woods and I'm I'm doing the whole rutting you know calling sequence and not a thing and I'm like dude it's definitely and I had I had mock scrapes I had scent stuff like it was working I mean they were hitting the mock scrapes and everything but what was what was just driving me nuts was like when I go in and I was quiet I didn't bump anything now granted you know I couldn't see because obviously it was you know the morning time but I didn't hear anything run off I didn't I didn't think I did anything wrong you know I got up in the tree quiet and I'm waiting till daybreak and doing the same thing I did you know, when I saw that big 10-point, granted, it was public land, but still, I mean, deer is going to yeah. deer, you know. So I'm thinking I'm thinking that it's uh, just going to be lights out and then nothing. I mean, they would right. show up at night, but always right before daylight. So I think to kind of wrap up the early season stuff and, like, you know, tactics with that, I think that's sort of what's got me wanting to change things as opposed to what I did last year is, like, it worked but when it did work after that the whole place just kind of went downhill you know and it's not going to be the only place that i hunt this year but it's the main spot you know it's like if i have time and like say public land doesn't have a season or you know i'm not really getting pictures of deer on another property this is the place that i go to so i don't want to do anything to ruin it but at the same time it's like i have to do something different from last year as far as when the rut and all that stuff kicks in like pre-rut Pre-rut's my favorite time of year. I've killed more deer in pre-rut than any other time. And, you know, it's just, I personally feel like that's when the bucks will respond because the does, they're not in heat yet, most of them. But the bucks are already, like, supercharged, ready to go, you know? So. Oh, yeah, and I mean, you know, those times and those times are some of the best times for trying calling. Uh, I'm... I carry a grunt call with me, and I carry a doe bleak hand. Yeah. But rarely will you see me get that grunt call out unless it is mid rut or it's supposed to be around. You know, I'm seeing rut sign or activity. I may hit a couple grunts here and there. I've heard deer grunting. Oh um, yeah. But what you'll see me do, and this is like hit or miss, because some mornings I ain't gonna touch it. Some mornings I will. Uh, if it's been dead all morning and I ain't seen much, I may hit the doe bleat a couple times. I've had a buck come right to me. Um, hitting a doe bleat can, five minutes later, here he was, walking right by me. Yeah, I mean, that's what I used when I saw that 10-point. I mean, it, it it worked perfectly. Does it always, you know, does it always work? No. Because no. does it scare them more than it helps them? Who knows, you know? I, Man. I ain't never spooked a deer with it, but the, who's to say the deer is in the 100 yards away and hears that and says, I ain't going over there. Yeah, deer calling, I feel like, would be a whole another episode for us because I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard both sides, man, where the, the – I've heard guys say, oh, man, I'll be up in the woods, up in the tree, you know, early early, uh, early rut, preseason, all that. Or not preseason, preseason, pre-rut. And he's like, I'm hitting yeah. it every, you know, every five minutes. I'm just brat, brat, brat the whole time. I've tried that, and it worked. But then I've tried it at other spots and it didn't work. And then I've tried the bleed oh, can, like, and they say that scares tried, deer. And it's like I think I tried rattling this year a little more than normal, and uh, I just didn't see any upside to it. Yeah, I've never had any success with rattling. I've tried it but a I couple of years, but yeah. 
also think the crowds are like again it's so hit or miss in some counties or some properties I think some some properties are gonna you're gonna have that and uh, where you can rattle four or five bucks up and the property next door you won't and yeah. that's just cause like I said each deer is different that's true that is very true well look man um, we're almost at an hour so I God, we need to do an entire episode just on this because I feel like we could go on for hours about it. There's so much more I want to say about calling and and tactics on that. So we probably need to do another one um, on just that, you know, once season gets a little closer. But before we wrap this up, because this hour flew by, honestly. Oh, yeah, we always do. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, You told me about, and this is totally changing gears here, but you told me about this new broadhead and you know as you know I'm obsessed with different broadheads and like the testing of it and what different types of ideas people come up with the one you sent me a picture of looks like a freaking battle axe man so just just lay it down like what have you learned about it um you know the brand the style what it is just hit us with all that because I mean I already know a lot about it yeah. from what you told me earlier but I want the people listening to hear about it because maybe they'd be interested in it you know oh yeah well so uh, the broadhead he's talking about it's called the hemorrhage it's by uh, black flag archery products um, the uh, I believe he's the guy who created it or inventor of that head specifically however you want to say uh, Chris Powers um He's also over uh, Bowhunter Supply Store in Bowden, Georgia. Uh, great, great group of guys. Um, the Bowtech over there. I don't know how many techs are over there now. I ain't been in a while. But Aaron is the guy I normally uh, talk to out of that shop. And then, of course, I use my main bow technician, Kyle Cooper. Um, he's the one that normally works on all my stuff. But he's he's who introduced me to them because uh, he had known Aaron and the uh, um, oh Lord, his name just went. Oh, Chris, for a while. So, uh, I they I know the broadhead. He kind of dropped it last year. I want to say it was 2022 when he dropped the broadhead and started introducing it to people. Uh, he was doing a lot of uh, work with it and a lot of testing before he wanted to drop it to the you know public because there's so much to do with a broadhead before you want to sell it to anybody. Obviously. So uh, I know he was doing tons of tests, having tons of people hunt with it, try it on different games, stuff like that, which uh, they're still doing currently. They're getting a lot of them out there. Um, I don't know how long they're going to run this, but I did send it to you. They're doing the uh, test uh, deal. It's uh, on their website. If you order one test broadhead, um, this will be for you to, you know, test out, shoot a deer, pig, whatever you'd like to hunt with, with it. And uh, you can shoot it in the phone, you know, your targets, whatever. They are field tip accurate, is what I've been told. And by the guys that are hunting with them and shooting with them, they are saying that it's completely 100% correct. Uh, kind of like some of the mechanicals that you see, like Mega Meat, uh, or stuff like that. Uh, field tip accurate out of the box but this is a fixed head so that is generally not the case with a fixed head broadhead out of the box you're not you're not typically you're typically going to have to tune your arrows for those 
and, uh, and tune your bow, you know, to be shooting that fixed head straight and accurate as possible. Um, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of fixed, fixed blade uh, broadheads out there, you know. I've tried them before. I know I had to tune my arrows to them. And uh, so I'm excited to see how this performs uh, out of the box and the field tip accuracy. And we're definitely going to be giving everybody some feedback on that. But it is a it's a four blade uh, inch and oh man, I won't don't be, I want to say it is an inch and a quarter cut inch at one point two five. And then the bleeder blades on the side, which are counting as two of the blades, um, they are 0.75 to so three quarter inch cut by themselves. Huh. And uh, so you're, you know, you're looking at like an inch and a quarter diameter hole all the way around, basically. Though, when it's all said and done, uh, once the two main blades go through. So, and like you said, it looks like a battle axe. I mean, the thing's gnarly looking, and. The, they are fixed blade, but, so the cool thing that I've noticed about them, when you go to pull them out of a target, or if, say, you lodge the arrow in the animal, and it is, um, and you haven't got a full pass-through or something, you know, well, you see that a lot, that just happens, you know, quarter shots, whatever. The, it looks like the blades will not retract, but they fold forward a a touch mm. to so they don't fold in but they almost like a I wouldn't say fold is the right word because they're not folding because it's a fixed blade yeah they, they kind of pivot, pivot forward yeah. is that uh, if that sounds better but they pivot forward a touch and um, so it makes for getting out of a target easier because, uh, you know, sometimes you see with the uh, fixed blades, it's kind of a, there can be a pain to get them out of a target and they can tear up a target. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it makes them get them out of a target easier. And I think, in my opinion, if they're in an animal and an animal's running and it's rocking back and forth, um, those blades are sliding back, pivoting back. And if that arrow pushes forward, they open up again. So you're getting that full cut. Or not open up, but, it, you know, it gets it slides back to the original pivot point and it's getting a wide open you know inch and a quarter cut again so when it pushes back through so it's kind of like cutting over and over and over if that makes sense if it's inside the animal still yeah that Um, what what gets me interested about it is the fact that (coughs) excuse me they uh that they say it's field point accurate you know because the only fixed blade I've ever shot that and I've shot a few of them uh, that I would say is as close to field point accurate as you can get would be the Exodus. Um, yeah. I tested that a couple weeks ago, you know, because I'm, I'm always jumping back and forth on like what broadhead I'm going to use. Right now I'm kind of stuck between the Exodus and that new sever that just dropped. Um, yeah. Now that you've told me about this one, I'm going to try it out. Uh, I'm going to order that test head tomorrow and see how it does. But with four blades, you know, it... It's, it's going to be interesting because I'm curious about, like, wind shear and direction, like, how it steers because, you know, the when, when people see this broadhead, I mean, it, if you imagine, like, a rage but with blades yeah. basically, you know, expanded out, that that's kind of what it looks right. like, you know. 
And yeah. I know that a lot of people will say like, oh, you know, long blades and stuff, it, it doesn't it doesn't fly right. And you know, I'm not saying it won't because I've never shot it. I can't I can't say anything on it. If they figured out a way to make it where it will fly just like a field point, I mean that's that's incredible because you know, you, you not only do you have the two long blades up front trying to steer, but then you got the two bleeders on the side, which makes me kind of think about like aerodynamically. The wind. Well, the way that they engineered those uh, main blades, uh, they cut wind really well, okay. from what I've been told. So, um, and just looking at them, you know, from the pictures I've been sent and the and I've seen quite a few harvest photos with them. So this isn't one of those deals where like. Where they're trying to promote a broadhead that just nobody's killing nothing with. No, they're killing deer and pigs, and uh, I mean whatever you can, you know, big game. Uh, from what I heard, there was a few guys that he had worked with that have killed some elk with them. Oh wow! Uh, so I, I don't know for sure. You know, I haven't seen the pictures of the elk, but I have heard that there was elk harvested with them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's. 100% accurate you know I'm not staffed by them or anything like that so it's just a interesting head that I'm wanting to try because you know I'm shooting the G5 Megameets and the Swackers um, 100 grains and uh, I like both of those the Megameet did freaking great last year on that buck I shot Swackers have never let me down on any animal I've shot with them uh, so just kind of run with those. I keep one swacker in the quiver and the rest mega meets right now. <laughs> but I will definitely be trying this um, hemorrhage out on a on a nice nanny doe this year. Hopefully. Yeah, I think that's what I would test it on would be a doe just just in case because like something I brought up to you, um, you know, the other day. I think it was yesterday when you told me about it, or maybe it was even today. I I can't remember. But um, my only concern aside from how it flies because like you said you can always tune you know you can make a broadhead work and i've heard even people say that it's not even the broadhead it's your bow so i don't know how how true that is like i shot you know a mega meat bmp and the exodus side by side last week and they both flew in the exact same spot so i don't know if that's just those two working well with my setup or if it's my bow or what the deal is but the main the other main thing that i'd be worried about and again, I don't know anything about it. I haven't seen any, you know, aftershot photos. I haven't shot this just based off of what I know about, you know, other broadheads and things I've heard from other people yeah. is the the way the blades are, like how extended out they are. My only worry would be if you hit like, you know, a, a rib or maybe not a rib, but like a scapula or say you hit one rib on one side and then like the leg knuckle or something or you just clip it would be if the blade would shear off now looking at the design of the blade i don't think that would happen because they're curved back it's almost like a schwacker or not a schwacker um what is it like a crimson talon or something there's some broadhead out there that's like that yeah and those blades the way that they curve they're you know they're pretty gnarly but i also think it's it's going to help going through that stuff Whereas you're not running a straight blade through it, you have that curvature which helps glide through the animal. And you know, if you are to get into bone, leg bone, things like that, I think it's going to help it bust through there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's an interesting. Obviously, nobody's shooting for bones. Like <laughs> the one, that's, that's the thing that always got me. Like you show these broadhead tests and these goobers out here shooting center blocks. 
Yeah. <laughs> what, bro? I'm, I'm aiming for lungs and heart yep. every time. Yeah. So, is it possible to hit a shoulder? I'm sure. Oh, of course. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to try and every time I have a shot on ammo, I'm trying to make it as broadside as possible and as clean and as accurate as possible and yes. as, you know, efficient and uh, humane as possible to put the animal down quick. So, it always blew my mind that people are out here shooting femur, cow femurs and and, and and crap like that to prove the broadheads. I mean, that's great and all, but I'm just trying to, you know, effectively put the deer down. If it goes through a cow femur, that's great. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm ever going to need it to do that, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so funny you even say that because JD just texted me something about a 650 grain arrow, and I hope to God he's not planning on building something like that. But, like... <laughs> Hey man, he, he, everybody's got their, you know, I, we had this talk and we'll, I'm not going to stretch it out, but you know, I'm running like a four, I think we said what it was like a 450 grain air or something like that. That's where I'm at. my lighted knock and all, yeah. 450, 460. 460 is the sweet spot. Grain you know, 340 spine, 29 inch draw, 70 pound Hoyt, and I'm blowing through the deer. I am going, you know, it's accurate as crap and... It works. You know, I'm not. I I couldn't tell you the FOC on my arrow or whatever. Yeah. I don't really know, uh, but I know it works for me, and that's just kind of what I've always done, you know. Yeah, I mean, you kind of. I know you said you didn't want to drag it out, but I I have to say this. I've been tinkering with <laughs> this new build, and I really, you know, for a while there, I didn't want to use lighted knocks just because I wanted higher FOC, and I saw no point, and all this, <coughs> all this other stuff, but. Here lately, right. man, I, I kind of changed my mind on that. Like, I'm about, I'm gonna order some of those uh, Halo knocks because they're the lightest, you know, lighted knock on the market. Um, Andy got some and he loves them, and it just, I feel like it's the best of both worlds. But the whole FOC thing, I mean, I I found when Andy was talking to me a few, like about a month or two ago about his arrow build that he was working on, I was like, look. If you can get high FOC, you know, 15%, and T-Bone said the same thing, you know, and I, I believe everything T-Bone says, but yeah. something that I found this chart, and it said that high FOC, it's, it was either high or extreme, I think it was high, is from 12% to, like, 18 or 19, yeah. and every arrow that I've built has had over 12%. Now... Last year when I shot pickles, I think I was running 495 grains with 13%. It was a good shot. It got lodged in the offside shoulder. I mean, you're not going to – with with a big expandable like a Mega Meat, you're not going to get through that shoulder. You know, not not if you're all – if it's the offside, there's there's almost no way unless you're shooting like, you know, a 90-pound Cam Haynes bow, you know. But um, I, I kind of here lately have sort of – stepped away from like the super high you know almost 20 percent foc stuff because it's just it, it it's it's important but really the main thing i take away from what t-bone says is accuracy always wins you know and of course. and like like you just said you're not aiming for a leg bone you're not aiming for a shoulder now if you put it through the shoulder you know if you've got like a 550 grain arrow and you know good foc and it's a fixed blade and you know that it can get through that. Okay, fine, go for it. But I'm not going to be aiming for yeah. that. I'm aiming right behind the shoulder for the sweet spot, and that's 
I feel like that's where people, you know, really need to focus on. Because I see stuff on Facebook all the time, dude, where it's like, oh, this 650 grain or 700 grain arrow went through this leg bone. And I'm like, that doesn't tell me that you took an accurate ethical shot. That tells me that you had something heavy for in case you had a mistake, which is fine. But don't you think you might want to practice more, possibly, you know, to, to actually hit your mark? Or were you aiming for the leg bone just to see what would happen? And now you're putting the animal in jeopardy where I just feel like that doesn't respect the animal as much as maybe we should, you know? I mean, I saw my very first archery deer ever uh, was a yearling doe, which is not saying much when I say what I'm about to say, but because, you know, the bigger the the deer, the bigger your bones, the shoulders, Mm -hmm. you know, legs, things like that. Uh, I was super nervous. This deer was 15 yards in front of me. I shot a yearling doe at, I was like 15 foot of the tree, 15 yard shot with a slacker. I was shooting a 70 pound uh, Matthew Switchback XT. I blew through both shoulders on the deer. I pulled forward instead of shooting lower because I was just nervous. It was the first deer I'd ever shot with a bow, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like, hell, I was like 16, 17, I think. I think it was like 16 or 17. And I was jacked, but I was surprised to see that it went through both shoulders, opened up, and worked, you know. And it wasn't like I was aiming for that shoulder, but that was, you know, that goes back to saying, you know, that kind of stuff is what can happen. I mean, she was broadside. Um, but, you know, it, I just was surprised to this day that, you know, a mechanical slacker opened through both shoulders, but it was also a yearling deer, so that's... Not saying a lot, but it's still something to look at, you know. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I ran the slackers ever since that day. And I shot a double long buck with some slackers like a month later, my first bow buck, and he he walked ten yards and fell over. And I was like, "This is nuts!" And I got full pastor on him, you know, stuff like that. So I just think. Uh, I don't know. I tell everybody just home with what you think is ethical. And if you enjoy building heavy arrows, then, then do it. If you enjoy building a standard, you know, 400, 500 grand arrow with a regular hunting setup and just want to run with it, then run with it. Yeah. But, you know, it's a, as long as you're making an ethical, clean shot, uh, I, I don't worry about what anybody, you know, nobody's ever come to me and been like, I can't believe your arrow is blah, blah, blah. Who cares? <laughs> Yeah, I you wish know, I could say that. I, uh, I've had a few people um, that I'm friends with do that. The, you know, like last year I did it because I like different color. Uh, I was running, and you know, some people do this, some people don't. I was running an odd, odd vein color for one fletching and then two regular colors. Mm-hmm. I want to say I have two pink and one green. And the reason I went bright, I went bright colors like that uh, just to see the blood and to see the arrow, you know, if it gets locked in the ground, I can't miss it. And I'm running the multi-lighted multi, uh, nocturnal. So when that thing goes through the deer, it, it lit up and you couldn't miss that arrow. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason, like, the build I just did, which I'm probably going to stick with, um, finally, is <laughs> it's, uh, what did I do? It was like a white wrap with white fletching and a red lighted notch. Yeah. You know, and the whole, it's the same thing like what you just said. Like, I know, you know, a lot of guys don't like wraps because it adds weight in the back, and I get that. But 
at the same time, <clears throat> you know, I want to be able to find my arrow if it does go through. And with the white fletching, because the arrows that I'm planning on shooting now, it, this might change, but the arrows I'm planning on using for season this year are um, Bloodsport Punishers. And they've got, you know, if you've ever seen Bloodsport, they have that, that blood ring on it. And that's cool, but what if the arrow breaks off? Well, then that blood ring's useless. So if you've got, you know, if you've got the white, that's why I always usually just go with white because that's the easiest way to check blood and be like, okay, what 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 happened, you know? Um, but I don't know, man. It's like you said, you know, whatever works for you works. I mean, it's, it's the same thing with arrow setups as it is broadheads. You know, there's going to be guys listening to this that are all mechanical and they're like, I won't use anything else. Dude, that's fine. Do your thing. But, oh, yeah. you know, like, I hate it when someone's so closed off and they're like, oh, I'm, I've been using this for years and I'm just going to stick with it. Dude, that's fine. If it works for you, use it. But, you know, if, if there's something new on the market and maybe you've had, you know, a couple instances where, say, you gut shot a deer and it's a small fixed. Or say that you shoulder shot a deer and it was a mechanical. But you're you're not willing to try something different. You know, like I've seen a lot of people do that, and it's just like, dude. At the end of the day, it comes down to you. You know, like what you said earlier, you want to take the most ethical shot you can on the deer to make sure it doesn't suffer, and to make sure that it goes down as quick as possible. And there's so many things out there that can help with that. You know, like there's so many good broadheads. If you really break it down, it also saves you money. Yeah. You're smoking arrows and breaking them off when you're getting a complete pass through and a good shot. Uh, yep. At most, you may be tearing the broadhead up a little bit, and uh, like I'm gonna make them eat, put brand new blades on it, ready to roll again. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's just, uh, you know, it's <laughs> you ask five hunters something about our uh, hunting and the way they hunt, or how or what they're running, and you're gonna get five different answers. Oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I always love to, you know, I love to just. To, you know, because it, you know, some guys, I like to show some guys that it's like, yeah, I'm still running just regular hunting setups. You don't have to run what everybody else is. And you don't have to run what I'm running. You can do whatever you want, but it's just, you know, the option is there. I feel like a lot of guys get wrapped up in the idea that, well, everybody's doing this. I need to do it. And that's not the case. Yeah. Well, and it's the same thing, too. Like what Anthony said last week um, when we talked about this a little bit. Look at what the natives were doing. They had sticks with rocks that were sharpened, and if they didn't even have any fletching, did they not go hunt? No, they went. You know, they were still going and they were still killing. So everything yeah, on I the mean, market is better than what they had. Indians would get a deer hide and sneak up on a group of deer and shoot them. Mm-hmm. And that's and, the thing, like. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, you can go to Walmart right now, and I said this last week. And me and JD have discussed this a few times, where you can go to Walmart and get one of those real tree arrows that are 10.2 GPI and throw a 50 grain broadhead in there, or a 50 grain um, insert and a 100 grain broadhead. That's still better. You know, it, it, you don't even have to know the FOC. You don't have to know the arrow weight. You don't have to do a lot of knock. You don't have to worry about fletching. You don't even, I mean, you probably should worry a little bit about spine, but you don't even have to look at that. 
and you could still yeah, be gotta, shooting. You gotta worry about spawn a little bit just because if you're shooting too weak of a spawn, well, of course. Of course. I'm just saying, like, but, just the average guy that doesn't know anything about archery, like yeah, how yeah. I was, you know, five years ago. I mean, dude, I look, perfect example. I was shooting a 40 pound bow with 300 and probably, I'd say, 350 grain arrows at max. I didn't know any of this. They just built it for me and said, have fun. And I had a 2.3 inch rage at the end of that. And I'm thinking that I'm the deadliest thing in the woods. Now, would it have worked? Yeah, maybe if they were 10 yards away and it was a perfect shot. But again, even that, I guarantee you that bow is probably shooting faster than anything the natives used, you know? So it's just crazy, man. Like I, I feel like I try to cover both sides. You know, I'll sit here all day long and say, Oh, you need this arrow weight. You need this. If your bow shooting like my setup, sixty pounds, twenty eight inches, I'm at four four fifty, with between thirteen to seventeen percent FOC, depending on which arrow I shoot. It works for me, but there's other guys out there. They're gonna hear four fifty and be like, "Oh, that's blasphemy. That's way too light." There's other guys that are like, "That's way too heavy." It's like, dude, it. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, we don't have to debate it. I mean, I'd love to, but we're still gonna come up with the same answer at the end of it. What works for you oh, works yeah. for you. So, I mean, you know, man, it's – I didn't mean to go on that rant. It's just when we talk broadheads and arrow setups and stuff, it it really gets me going. Like, I drove Andy nuts. I don't, I'm don't. i pretty sure you heard it in the episode. I had to apologize to him because he asked me about something, and I went on this two-hour rant with him about, <laughs> like, oh, this broadhead does this or this one's designed this way. And I didn't, I didn't even think about the fact, like, you can get one of those $10 for three – um, Allen broadheads at Walmart, and they're still better than some of the stuff that they were using back in the day. You know. Yep. So. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, I've I've seen deer killed with all kind of broadheads. I've uh, seen them killed with the cheapest. I've seen them killed with the stupidest, most expensive broadhead you can buy yourself. Yeah. Um, same thing with rifles. I've seen deer killed with sixteen hundred dollar rifle. I've seen deer killed with a with a three hundred dollar, you know. Walmart special Remington. Dude. I mean, they the shit works. Yes, yeah. do what works for you and works in your budget, and just don't be afraid to ask for help. Just keep an open mind. That's what I try to tell guys. You know, don't get so set on one thing that you know, because you never know what's going to work better for your bow or or your arrows or your setup. It's yep. uh, it can always be something a little bit different. Yeah, and I mean, like you were saying with the gun stuff, the first deer I ever killed was with my $300 Savage Axis, that 308, 20 yards, and down like that. You know, it works. You don't, and that was a big thing. It's still a big thing that me and me and JD talk about quite a bit. He, he's, I mean, he, he has higher quality equipment, I guess you could say, but we both, like how we were talking in the episode we had a few weeks ago, or I think it was like a couple months ago, actually, um, of when we go to the state shoot, we're not shooting two, you know, $2,000 bows with a $1,000 sight and this gigantic, you know, stabilizer and arrows that are tuned to perfection. Like we're shooting with our hunting setups and we're maybe 10 points behind the leaders. Like you yeah, don't I mean, need all of that. Run, man. When, I, when I shot indoor and I shot 3D, I was shooting most of my, most of like, it was my hunting bow. Yeah. I, I wasn't shooting a target bow. I didn't buy a specific target bow because when I was younger, I didn't have the money to have two bows. Exactly. So I would tone my hunting bow down to 60 pounds. I did spend the money and set up specific target arrows 
I bought Targaryos. I bought them fat, big Targaryos. I was running, I sent you the picture of them, but yeah. I was running the uh, Black Eagle, whatever, carnivores or something. And I was pro staff with them at the time, and I was like, I, I had like what I thought was a lot of money in arrows. It was like $14, $15 in arrow, and I had like two dozen arrows. Um, I spent most of my money in arrows, and I got a good, you know, a good uh, sight. I found a good single pin I liked, and I was running just a regular drop away QAD. And I was shooting just as good as a lot of people, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing, like, he and I both were saying, like, if we can keep up with our, you know, average Joe setups and stuff, there's no there's no reason to, to go more expensive, you know? And it just circles back to what I was saying. You don't need to spend yeah. a ton of money on certain products in order to be a better, to, to have a more, you know, have more advantage. Like, really, it comes down to your hunting skill and what you learn. And your, and your you know, if we're talking archery, your, your shooting ability. You know, I've been practicing at 40 yards every day because, you know, not only is the state shoot, you know, 40 and under, but I don't know what situations I'm going to get. I mean, last year I was good maybe at 25, and now it's like I, I don't even – I probably need to shoot more 20, 25 because that's really where my shots will probably be at. But, you know, it's – I think Cam Haynes said something like if you practice double the distance you're going to be shooting – when you shoot the actual distance you'll need, it's gonna feel like a chip shot. And that is true. I mean, that's 100% oh, yeah. true. So, I don't know, so man. I'll shoot out to 60 yards comfortably, and so when I get a 20 yard shot, I can, that's nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, when me and JD went to the qualifier shoot, there was one target that, um, I think I shot it at like 50. And what's, what's really sad is I shot a higher score on that shot than I did my 41 that counted. So <laughs> I was like, man, maybe I should be in the 50 yard class. <laughs> Cause I don't know, man. Well, look, dude, this episode has been great. Um, I don't want to keep you too long. You know, I know you got some pizza to go eat and I have a wife to go spend time with. <laughs> so, uh, dude, we need to do another, yeah, we need to do another episode soon though. Cause you know, season's coming up. We got maybe what? It's the end of May. We've got three months, roughly, yep. less than three and a half months till season starts. So what we, I think, what we need to do next time is is tackle the whole, the whole thing about like, you know, preseason tactics, early season rut. Just sort of run through like our experiences with past seasons and kind of what we expect. You know, obviously, like you know, you said earlier, a deer's going to do what a deer's going to do, but you can kind of. I'm not going to say pattern them to the fullest, but you can sort of figure out ways to figure out, like, what they're doing. Oh, yeah. I you mean, know? You, can, you can definitely pattern deer. Like, you just have to figure out what that pattern's going to be, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, cool, man. Well, Thor, son of Odin, um, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on, man. You know, it's, it's, it's always good to have a buddy on here, and, you know, I hate that it was such short notice, but I was kind of no, slacking a little bit with, with the whole thing. You know, work has been insane, so... But um, well, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, you know me; I will talk hunting until your ears fall off. Hey, my ears are still here, man. So we have plenty of time to do it. <laughs> cool, man. Well, well, I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to this episode of Southeastern Bowhunter Podcast. 
If you don't mind, go on Apple, go on Spotify, wherever you listen to this and give us a five-star review. It really helps out. And, you know, I just want to give all the glory and all the thanks to God. Without him, I wouldn't be able to do any of this. We wouldn't be able to do anything without him. So just needed to throw that out there. Thank you again for listening. And don't forget to give us a review.